This podcast is brought to you by JBL. Employing the best methods and tools, audio technology is at the core of everything JBL creates. Never straying from a ground-up approach to everything they build, JBL has produced a prolific list of audio achievements, groundbreaking technologies, and revolutionary advances in the art and science of professional audio. JBL, passion for sound and those who create it. Learn more at JBL.com. Hello and welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. Jeff. Victor, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Man, uh, it's funny. I was just talking to uh, Martine, who was the bass player yeah. on that Scott Weiland tour. And uh, we were trying to remember. It's funny, like, it's funny how long ago that seems. I guess it is, really. Uh, but also, like, that was such a crazy time because I was newly clean just like you were so like it's funny most of my memories of that tour are really like hiding out in martin's room because he had been sober like a year you are just too cold you were cold as ice you wasn't very nice why did i choose you what did I see in you? I saw the Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield, and for this episode, we chat with drummer Victor Indrizzo about Marvin Gaye's posthumous release, Vulnerable. I first met Victor back in 1997. Uh, when we were both on tour, I was with my band at the time, Black Lab, and he was playing drums in Scott Whelan's band that also included Martin Lenoble and Daniel Lenoir on guitar. And I was so enamored with Victor's drumming, and uh, we struck up a conversation and uh, maintained a friendship over the years. Uh, but uh, I thought he'd be a great choice to chat with for this podcast, and so I gave him a shout. The, the other note is that this was the very first interview we ever did for this discussion podcast. And... Um, I've sat on it for a while, but thought it was time now, um, going back through the archives of interviews that I'd done, and uh, I just really love this chat. So, enjoy. Yeah, well, shoot, man. It's, uh, it's great to catch up with you. And So you sent me this Marvin Gaye record, Vulnerable, um, I'd never heard of this record, to be honest with you. So why this record? Well, the funny thing about that record is that version of it is not even the first version that I fell in love with. There was a version that came out on a box set, uh, I think maybe 92 or 93. And it has even different versions than that, than that version, but that's the only one really that's available now. And there was something about that record... Uh, 
I don't, it was so sad. It's a sad record. And I remember reading a book about him. I, I always loved the What's Going On album, which is like, you know, would be a more obvious choice. But there was something, I read this book. There's an amazing biography about him uh, called Divided Soul. And he, his whole career, he wanted to be a crooner. Uh, even his first record was all standards and and but nobody wanted to hear him do that those records never sold and so he ended up being this pop guy uh, and he said he always wanted to make that record which actually never even came out in his lifetime but he said he wasn't in enough pain to do it he he recorded those songs many times throughout his career and then finally he felt like he got it right but there was something that there was some so sad and so real it reminds reminded me of like john lennon's like first solo album the plastic ono band where it's like such raw emotion and you know that somebody's in pain and you can feel it and i think i got turned on to that record after i just gotten divorced and i was just getting into my drug habit uh and I don't know, I just heard that record and I could feel the pain and it just became so, I don't know, like uh, I became engulfed in that record. And there was something about, the, the thing that I love about music still is that gets forgotten, I think sometimes, is like the whole point of a record to me is to make somebody feel something. Right. And I, for whatever reason, when I listened to that record, it just made me feel so much. It's like, I think people focus on the technical aspects of either being a musician or a songwriter uh, that you forget that it really comes down to an emotion, you know, and that for whatever reason, that record just like I felt his pain. this record as well because I sort of foolishly just assume like oh you know somebody like Victor the drummer will will put a record forth that has something interesting from that perspective but really this record is very orchestral and it totally has like very sparse drums i mean there's a few things that yeah i mean like funny not much has some drums it's kind of like this this big band kind of vibe but 
but a lot of, but most of it is, um, you know, I put it on not ever hearing it before and was immediately sort of transported to this, uh, uh, Nat King Cole vibe, but it has like, it has something a little more, um, uh, raw about it, a little less polished, a little bit for the main, a little bit less mainstream about it, you know, even though it's completely like this easy listening record, if you just put it on and it was in the background, you, but we, you know, you focus in on it, you realize, and you learn about it, you realize it's a lot deeper than that. It's not just some easy listening record. Yeah. No. And, and really like that, there's a, there's another version of that record that was on the box set that I think is even better. And he really, on that version, there's even more kind of like layering of his vocals, kind of more in the what's going on style. And it just is so beautiful. And so, and there was something, I think, because I was reading the book at the time that I heard it, that really, like, he had such a painful life. And just something that, you know, as a, as like a 20 year old guy dealing with divorce, dealing with like, you know, I had a pretty abusive childhood. There were just all these things that I don't know, it just, drew me in and it's funny like i i listen to that record a lot still it's definitely still in my rotation of things and it's funny after, I, 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 even after i said it, i was like god there's so many other records i could have chosen but when i think about a record that i go back to time and time again and really even if you're looking at it from when i think about drumming my approach to playing drums has been like a feeling and it's like about capturing a feeling and sometimes that feeling is not playing much or like uh that like being it being hyper aware of what the song is saying or what the, the singer is trying to get across the the record was totally panned i mean a lot of people just totally yeah. hated this record the you know yeah. quote critics yeah which I thought was yeah. we thought was interesting that um, and you know that this happens a lot, right? You know, somebody's work that you know uh, people may or may not be ready for, and it doesn't fall in line with what's going on or something, you know. So they, you know, they can't get their heads around it. I mean, music critics aren't the final word on art, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, and sad because that's like what he wanted to do his whole career and just never, you know, and even in the end, he was too afraid to put it out or they wouldn't put it out. Right. So that because so this record was it was going to be released as, quote, ballads. Right. That was the yeah. the yeah. And and they started making that record early on, like conceptually in like 1968. But then he scrapped that. And, you know, yeah, he's, a bunch of times throughout his career, he would go and he would record those songs. And in the book, they talk about how he just was never, he never found that right level of pain that uh, that he wanted to convey in the songs till like closer to his death. Yeah. So where in the, where in the um, chronological order does this fit with like, it is around the time of Here, My Dear, right? Which was the record that he basically made as a, as payoff for his, uh, you know, his divorce settlement was. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Crazy record. I don't know if you've ever heard. Oh that yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And he he's just a super interesting guy. It's like if you really like that book, I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. It's really and and as a guy as a recovery guy now, 
you I read it and it just makes me so sad because, you know, he was an addict and he, he needed help and at that time it just you know, I don't know if it wasn't as widely available to him as it is now or he wasn't ready or there, there weren't the right people around him. But you know, you just read the book and you're like, Man, I wish this guy could have found recovery because he would have gone on and kept doing so many great things. You know? Stop loving you I can listen to your name And it doesn't start a flame Not much So much my heart wants to cry Stop loving you And it's funny I don't miss all the heaven in your kiss Your touch I don't love you Yeah, and there's so much, you know, I was doing some some reading um, And even the studio, I mean, there's so much tragedy in Marvin Gaye's life You know, it was like uh, you know, and he he built this incredible studio in Los Angeles called Marvin's Room, and um, you know it was like this crazy complex. I'm sure you're aware of it. That uh, and you know it had like residential and it had like recording studio and et cetera, and and he would, like it had a club and like he would throw crazy parties with all you know sort of you know Muhammad Ali et cetera would go and like. So, but then, you know, that got like shut down as, um, uh, I, I believe as part of his, uh, was that part of his divorce thing? Probably. Yeah. I'm not sure. And then, you know, then it became, but it was still a studio and El, I guess it was renamed El Dorado. Yeah. 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 So, and now it's Marvin's room again. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever worked there? I don't think I've worked there. Uh, I did work, like El Dorado ended up moving and keeping a lot of his gear, and I had worked there a bunch of times. Um, I think Dave Jordan took over his place initially. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the rock guy, Dave Jordan. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, But, yeah, it's funny. I mean, really, like, What's Going On, I think, is one of the best albums of all time. And that's an album I listen to a lot. Like there are just like a handful of records. It's funny because I was thinking about also like for me too. Like Stevie Wonder is another guy, and like there are a couple records where you're like, man, this something was. I don't know that there's some people make a couple records in their life where it's just like there's it makes you feel like there's something greater out there. You know, I'm not like a religious guy or anything, but like there, it just you're like, wow, this is so powerful and so, so beautiful that they're, they become timeless, you know, and like, like a couple of Stevie Wonder records for me are like that, you know, they, they just were able to tap into something. That, uh, when you love me, I was 
walking on rainbows like nobody else has done this will yeah if you can you gotta you gotta hear the other versions i look because it's funny i listened this morning i was like god this is not these aren't even the best versions of of those songs oh yeah well that's you know that wouldn't be the first time right <laughs> oh yeah it's yeah a- i was i was bummed because i was I saw in the box set when it first came out, they kept saying, oh, there's going to be an album of this stuff. And then when they, I think they put it out in 97, yeah. but it wasn't, I was like, oh, these are different versions of this. But, yeah, it's it's weird, you know, like uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, you end up get we end up getting music that's, that's so great after somebody dies, you know, because they never felt like they could release it, you know, or, and for whatever reason, they, I don't know. I mean, why do you think, this he never i mean i guess you touched on it that he never felt it's that thing of like you know he was a a big commercial artist you know and that people wanted they wanted sexual healing or they wanted let's get it on they wanted that from him but that's what but that wasn't really where his heart was at you know not that his heart wasn't into those things as well but there was you know clearly throughout his life and if you look through his catalog he, he even did like a cover of Nat King Cole songs he had a record but those records would never sell and he was always just so bummed at that but it's so sad there was something you know that he didn't get to really be who he was or what he wanted to be you know he was trapped by his own fame yeah which you, you encounter that all the time where there are artists who have their big hit record and they're trapped by that. They're chasing that thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And trying to recreate that over and over. And it's like, instead of that thing of just creating art. And that's something, I mean, there, I think there are still people to do. You can't say that people don't do that now, but I think that's what makes great art is when you're not trying to make something commercial maybe it ends up being commercial but like you're really it's just from the heart and it's a true expression Thanks for listening. Discussion is created by Tape Op, the creative music recording magazine. Free subscriptions are available at tapeop.com along with our regular podcast and online content.